Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Pi Data Manchester podcast. There's me, Jennifer Stark, and John Carney. Hello. <laughs> Today we are recording from each of our own homes, so this might sound a little different, but we hope you can still deliver hope we can still deliver an interesting podcast. This month we are talking about recommendation systems. John, how do you feel about recommendation systems? I think you know that I love them. <laughs> Yeah, I do. Um, John gets very excited whenever we talk about recommendation systems. So in honor of that, and it's a really good topic, we thought we would do a podcast on that this time. Um, so I guess the first question is, what are recommendation systems? Yeah, I, I think that seems like a logical place to start. I mean, I, what like um, I work in the e-commerce space. Um, so an awful lot of recommendation systems are about how we figure out um, what what is a relevant product for a particular consumer. Now, I'm sure people have, will have seen different stuff online, like tutorials about um, what's a relevant film to watch, um, what's a relevant film on Netflix or a tutorial. Um, or there's a tutorial around um, the IMDB stuff that usually, um, usually comes up with Rexus tutorials. But like when you really get down to it, it's how do we deliver relevant content for the user? And where that content is a film or a recommendation of what book they might like or what product they might like, it's just figuring out what the consumer is likely to, um, is likely to like. I think that's a pretty right. roundabout way of explaining it. Yeah. So um, we're looking at, say, for example, I mean, you could put in, so if you put in something in a search bar, for example, um, on tap on or navigation bar, and you put in a few um, options, and then it will give back to you on the website things that are within that option selection. So that's just regular filtering. Um, so how is recommendation systems different from that, or is it just all part of the same thing? Well, it's all kind of part of the same thing. I mean. If we go, if we take a step back from e-commerce into just regular commerce, you know, when you go down the shops back in those glorious days and we could leave the house, um, <laughs> places like Tesco and uh, places like IKEA, any shops trying to figure out where the best place to put um, stock is so that you can find it, so you can find what you're looking for. Um, stock that's kind of on a middle shelf at eye level, that's pride of place. Uh, if you're down at foot level or, you know, out of reach up high, it's not as easy for um, consumers to find. So taking that logical step from the physical space onto the virtual e-commerce cyber world, um, you've got to figure out how we can help consumers find what they're looking for. Right, so the middle shelf would be things like that are most popular or most likely to be the things that people want. Yes, or conversely, so I've heard that perhaps, and I don't work in the retail, well, so this may be slightly different, but I've heard that sometimes um, businesses will pay more or change their prices, uh, give proactive prices so they get better shelf space. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of like a similar logic of how do we help people from looking for? If you go into the search bar and then you put in a particular brand of crisps or whatever, and that's what you're looking for, then you should, um, 
the the website should return the most relevant result for that because that's exactly what you're looking for. But if you're looking for more passive um, interaction, you don't know exactly what you're looking for and you're just browsing perhaps, then it can be a bit more intuitive to say, okay, um, using the navigation bar, we click on, for example, um, a department like men's shoes. Um, at the top, you might have some of the most popular men's shoes are again, a commercial agreement that, uh, with a company to have prefer preferential merchandising rules, so it's more visible. And recommendation systems um, in e-commerce are kind of step back from that. So how do we how do we anticipate what people are going to want without them explicitly stating? Right. So it's all about um, good categorization um, of various items. So that people can, if they don't know exactly what they're looking for, if they're more exploring, we can help them to narrow that down until they find what they want. Exactly. Um, can help them anticipate even just the kind of the sections that they're exploring. We can say, okay, well, you like, you're looking at men's shoes or men's trainers. Here's, based on the other uh, trainers that you've looked at, this might be a trainer that you like. Yeah. So... There's so many recommendation systems around already um, that have been around for a really long time already as well and are continuously being developed and improved. The recommendation system is never a done deal. They're always um, they're always being improved uh, to make sure that we don't get into ruts or rabbit holes, I suppose. I mean, there's one, uh, for example, YouTube. Um, has been in the news quite a lot as um, promoting or it's easy to recommendation system is makes it easy for you to find content that's um, not wholesome should I say <laughs> yes that's a very nice way of saying it <laughs> um, yeah because you can always it's because they're really really hard yes they're really hard to do really hard to do well um, so yeah, YouTube recommending videos, Twitter and their, their chronological timeline versus an algorithmic timeline. Yeah. Um, then there's Amazon shopping experience online. Um, particularly if you, so they have the search bar and navigation options available, but also when, once you've clicked on a product, when you scroll down, you can find um, they've got a section on, you know, what other users bought. Mm. Um, so, and then of course there's, Netflix. Yeah, and I mean, these are all like really quite famous algorithms or recommendation systems that people will be familiar with, even if they don't know they're familiar with them. Like the mm. Amazon one has been going on for so long. Um, and uh, did, did you know that Amazon, um, the Amazon recommendation system, from what I've read, is meant to deliver about 35% of all of, um, all of Amazon's retail revenue. So not AWS, mm. but like shopping revenue, which is right. ins insanely huge. Um, and obviously, <laughs> they keep trying to, you know, improve and refine it because it's there's so much revenues come from it. Right. Um, and as you were saying, it's always so difficult because your idea of what's relevant is different from my ideas of, of what's relevant. If if we both are looking for coats, we have different style preferences. Very much so. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so yeah, you're going to end up with uh, hopefully different recommendations for coats for you and I. Yes. <laughs> Even if that's I think just, we both. Yeah. 
<laughs> even that, just, yeah. even that's just recommending different sizes. Um, even yeah, um, yeah. So Netflix, um, you told me the other day about Netflix had a competition. Yes, yes. Um, so this is like quite a big deal in recommendation system circles, especially at the time. Um, I believe it was 2009, um, Netflix introduced a competition to try and figure out how they could, how they could open, it was, it was like an open source competition for anyone in the world to enter with a grand prize of a million dollars, which would be given to anyone who could come up with a really good rating system. I forget exactly what the, um, what the criteria were, but basically how, um, how Netflix could learn how to um, deliver a recommendation system that would that could cover all of their films and media uh, for anyone. Um, and uh, some like a group of uh, a group of people won it and, and they did win the million dollar prize, um, which best did Netflix his own uh, algorithm predictions by about 10%. But wow. from what uh, from what I remember, it was never actually put in production because although algorithmically it was a dramatic improvement, actually, um, actually delivering that as a piece of software was too difficult. Ooh, okay. Yeah, which is really- So it's too big, so it's like too slow to serve it or something like that? I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, because it was um, because it was a collaborative filtering algorithm, and we'll mm. touch on this very soon. Um, <laughs> and because Netflix has million, I think it's millions of different media titles, um, you'd need to store all these, these things in memory. Uh, and there yeah. are some limitations around having, obviously having a lot of stuff in memory um, and searching right. these in real time, which would make it unwieldy. I don't have the details in front of me, so I can't say exactly what the issues are. Um, right. But this is kind of why, even though some of the underlying maths uh, behind recommendations, like obviously the improvements have been made in the maths behind recommendation systems, but a lot of progress can still be made with the algorithms that people were using um, back then in 2009. Um, mm. It can just be difficult to put them in production just because there's so many practical problems or practical difficulties to overcome. Right. So, I mean, there's, I guess the moral of that is you could be, have the best algorithm in the world, but if you can't serve it. Yes, exactly. This is another topic yeah. that I also love, how we deliver machine learning in production. <laughs> yeah. Another one. Yeah, so if, if anyone is interested in that, um, there's a Wikipedia page on the Netflix prize, and there'll be a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, it has much more um, details than I do. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, one of the things uh, sometimes happens to me with Netflix is I get into a rut. So their recommendation system is super good um, at knowing what I've seen and finding things similar to all the things I've seen. But you know, if I want to branch out and see something completely different, that's kind of hard. Um, in my experience, anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's also uh, a, a difficulty in recommendation systems. You can make something really, really good at recommending, but then you might be preventing people from um, discovering content serendipitously. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of similar to the explore exploit dilemma in um in um, sorry in reinforcement learning um, and multi-arm bandits of when you've got when you've got what is the optimal strategy how do you keep learning and improving on it because certainly 
with films and media, our fashions can change, or our preferences can change quite quickly. Certainly the same with fashion as well. How do you keep up with it? Um, how do you deal with a situation where you're using uh, your home and a couple of your friends come around to watch a film? Back in the days when we could do that. Um, <laughs> you keep doing that. <laughs> it's been a long Back few in the weeks. Day. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Like, and, and then when people see your recommendations compared to their own Netflix screen, it's a dramatically different experience. Um, mm. And if they watch, you know, one random program, all of your recommendations can be thrown ever so slightly uh, because while they liked that film, you thought it was terrible. <laughs> <gasps> well, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a problem with uh, getting stuck in local minima. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, so there's a load of examples, um, and it seems like they're not not all recommendation systems are the same. Um, so, I mean, broadly, there's two, very broadly, um, there's two different kinds of system. There's uh, collaborative filtering which would use similarities between users and items at the same time to provide recommendations. So you can imagine user A watched something um, and user A is similar to user B, C and user G and those users watch these other things. So then the recommendation system might provide things, uh, films or what have you that those other users liked that are similar to you. Um, yeah 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 and I think one of the key things with um, with that approach is you don't need to know anything about the users or the items you just need to know what they've what they've bought or what they've watched what the interaction between a user and the items are rather than understanding all the details about the items or you know understanding lots of demographic details about the user themselves right um and then there's content-based filtering, which uses similarity between the items or the, the films or the shopping items um, to recommend similar items to what the user just looked at or watched. Yeah, and which is the opposite in that it takes lots and lots and lots of details about the items themselves and the demographics of the user, and that's how it makes the prediction. And of course, there's a third type, which is hybrid types of both. Right. Can you tell me more about the hybrid types? Um, I mean, there's loads of different types of hybrid. It's just how you how you can combine collaborative filters and filtering with um, with content based filtering. Like because each of them has um, there are tr uh, pros and cons to both um, collaborative filtering and content based. So with collaborative filtering, you end up with issues around the cold start problem, which is for example, how do you introduce a, a a product that no one's ever used before, like a brand new product, because there are no inter no user interactions with it? Um, whereas, however, collaborative filtering is generally more accurate than content-based filtering. Um, and certainly with content-based filtering, you've got to do an awful lot of work to understand kind of product hierarchies and details about the products. And say if you're um, wanting to um, a department store type of thing like Amazon. Um, if you're, how do you compare a DVD to some shoes and understand the content attributes there? There's a huge amount of um, product detail and work that's got to go into that. 
So figuring out the best of both worlds seems like a logical approach a lot of the time. Horsefly is a data science-driven provider of talent analytics solutions with offices in Manchester and Liverpool. The data scientists code in Python every day. If you love data and have a natural curiosity to dive into a data set, get in touch with Horsefly or reach out to PyData and we can pass you on. Check out their website in the show notes. Without the support of Horsefly Analytics, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast. All right. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I myself am just getting into recommendation systems, um, but John, you've got some exp- um, actual experience that's been uh, deployed in everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, not to brag, but yes. Um, <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. I'm very pleased with it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, I'm not allowed to say the name, um, but I've been working with um, a, a major high-street high retailer um, of how they could help figure out um, building and deploying and generally using some recommendation systems of their own. So up until this point, they'd kind of been using third-party products and paying, you know, paying for them off the shelf and integrating them in their own website. Um, but there are lots, you know, quite a few limitations with that and their business model. Um, so they're trying to develop the capacity in-house. I've been going in, um, yeah, it's been, uh, I've been going in helping their team figure that out and help build, help their team build some products around that, which has been a lot of fun for me and because I Good. love recommendation systems so much. What are you building on? Uh, building on GCP, which I know we as a team really enjoy, um, but it's really, <laughs> I mean, this isn't a, this isn't an advertisement for GPB, but I do find it much easier to get started with um, than AWS and Rio. Um, and the data and machine learning support is pretty useful. And um, we've been using mm. AI platform um, for training, GCP for our data store, lots of cloud functions. Um, and we've been using GitLab CI as the CI pipeline. Oh, yeah, cool. Mm. Um, all right, so give us a bit of background as to the context of the problem itself okay like right. what are the nuances of your problem the nuances so it's a department store as i said so they've got an awful lot of different products uh, in an awful lot of different categories um, in some of those departments and uh, they can bring in kind of hundreds of new product lines every day so the cold start problems are really big issue we've got to be considering okay um so a purely collaborative filtering approach wouldn't work. However, the uh, kind of the first project that I did with that um, with that team was that they've been working on a st- kind of a standard collaborative filtering approach. Um, not because that was going to be perfect, but because it was useful to get started and a useful place to iterate from. So I helped them go in and go from having that working on a laptop to deploying it and developing um, a delivery system. And this wasn't just me, I don't want to be saying that, but um, helping um, helping them build a delivery system to get that out there, which is, as I tell anyone, um, if it's just sitting on your laptop, it's not providing any value. You've got, to figure, you've got to figure out how it can impact your business as a whole. However, there's lots of useful learnings around that. Um, one of the big difficulties we had was um, around infor- um, information security. Um, which information security is important and we don't want to diminish it. However, 
the InfoSec team were slightly overzealous in that they wouldn't let the data science team know what purchase, what um, which anonymized customer purchases had been made, and that's fine. But um, that was baked into some of the architecture as well. So we had to understand, okay, if we can only get customer history data um, every month or so, that's not really going to be informative enough for us to be um, informative or quick enough for us to be delivering relevant recommendations to our customers on such a quick time. So we took the kind of the opposite approach. How can we do? Um, how can we deliver recommendations that are relevant to the customer in, in real time as they browse? So based on some reading I've been doing, um, which I'm super excited about, um, <laughs> around how we can kind of describe different products as um, vector embeddings, um, we decided to take that kind of approach. So understanding what, understanding how to describe a product based on the context of the product. And this, this, um, this, this all comes from words of Eck, if anyone's familiar with um, natural language processing. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so the idea behind words of Eck is you can understand a word by the company it keeps. So the concept of word uh, occurs in, this, is, this, this, this always gets me sorry. So what's the probability of a word occurring based on the context of the other words around it? So words that appear um, in a similar concept have a similar meaning. So um, say you're on your browsing experience through this, uh, this consumer website, you look at a, um, a TV, then you look at some shoes, then you look at another TV, then you look at a laptop. You've got a sequence of products, much like a sentence of words. So you can understand the context uh, uh, that each product is occurring in, uh, in the same way as you can understand the context that each word is occurring in. And through all this, which is essentially words of ec, um, not the original words of ec, but uh, negative sampling words of ec, we can describe each, um, we can describe each product as um, a product vector. So because there's 100,000 or so and this changes literally every day. There's so 100,000 or so products IDs in this, um, op, you know, for this website. Um, each of them has a 32 length factor. So we can understand which, um, which words are, uh, sorry, which products are similar, um, which is where we've got to at the moment. But the next step is we can understand, um, we can deliver a vector for each brand off each product category. So we can say, okay, what are the most, for a brand, what's the best way of phrasing this? Of all the products that someone's looked at, we can take the vector embedding for say Nike away from that because maybe they don't like Nike and then we've still got all, and we can then find through cosine similarity searches, all of the products that um, that are similar to, to the products we've looked at, but are not related to Nike, as an example. Right. And no, other sports no, no brands are available. Nike. I'm sorry? And other sports brands are available. Yes, yes, yes. Lots of them. And they're all, all very good. No preference. All excellent. <laughs> oh, Nike can sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's got a lot. 
there's a lot to consider there, isn't there? Mm. And each, I mean, every place, every company or um, you know, online venture who want to use recommendation systems on their platform, they're going to have their own unique limitations and goals. Mm. So while they're, well, one person, one company system might be similar to somebody else's, they're all going to have different, quite a lot of nuance between them. Yeah, that's always the case. I mean, I'd love to give you some examples, but they all, they're all <laughs> kind of different. I mean, some of the stuff that everyone has to consider with using recommendation system, um, for you know, in an e-commerce environment, is how, how are you going to handle recommendations that are out of stock products? Oh, yeah, how are you going to handle yeah. re- recommendations for alcohol or knives, uh, which are, you know, these are perfectly good things to recommend in the right context, but you don't want to be recommending them to just anyone. You don't want to be mm. recommending um, violent films to under 12 or whatever. Right. Um, um, one of the yeah. considerations for this company I'm working with at the moment is... Um, certain brands that they work with as part of the contract they've got and um, should only recommend that same brand on that page and um, so you've got to consider that when you deliver the entire recommendation system and the entire recommendation system is separate from just the recommendation algorithm yes of course mm. yeah um yeah there's several stages oftentimes to a recommendation system um where you might have the initial um uh what's called a, a getting the, the candidates first. Mm-hmm. Um, so a first uh, bunch of candidates, which might be narrowing things down from millions down to just thousands or hundreds of thousands. And then um, those might get um, scored um, in terms of uh, how, how similar they are to what the person was searching for originally. Then they might get ranked and then they could get re-ranked. So they might get ranked as um, according to um, one rule or one set of rules that might be recency or similarity. But then you could have other algorithms um, subsequent to that that will determine um, is is this clickbait content or is this um, over 18 content or is this, um, you know, is there other limitation that mm. needs to be considered? And then it would go through the, the, the ranked list of candidates will then go through these other algorithms things will be filtered out and then you'll end up with a final list of items to recommend yeah yeah and it, 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 yeah that's a really good point i mean there's a bunch of different ways of accessing it but one of the big um, i think youtube is like oh, I'm not sure they're open source or algorithm but they published a paper on it and there's some useful blog posts around it as well and that's kind of the approach that they take in that there's mm. because youtube have I think tens of millions, hundreds of millions of videos, a lot of videos. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they've got to do like candidate generation, which is less computationally expensive. Um, mm. And then, but it's less informative. But then once they've got some candidates down to whatever order of magnitude, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, they could do, use algorithms that are more expensive um, computationally, but more informative. And of course, all this to be done in uh, fractions of a second. Well, you know, so yeah. it, it happens within your page load as well. Yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, for yes, I mean you've 
applied it to an online a high street retailer um, for a shopping experience. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I was going to apply something like this to in my line of work, I might have some different considerations to make. Mm. Um, so my context might be free online journalism. Um, so there's articles online um, and it's free. So there's no login. Mm. Um, and as I said before, I just want to reiterate the fact that, uh, I have not, I'm new to, um, recommendation systems myself. So, um, I recently completed Google's machine learning course mm. on recommendation systems. It's online and they explain things. I found it pretty it's very well organized um and there's also uh because some prerequisites are linear algebra and calculus they that's they've got the the machine learning course has links to that at the at the beginning of the course so you can find you can sort of update your knowledge or refresh your knowledge on those things if you don't already have it um but yeah the online course itself was was really good um so that's that's where that's where my knowledge comes from so far, and reading the odd uh, blog post here and there. Um, so yeah, if I was gonna do this for journalism, online free journalism, um, one consideration might be the fact that oftentimes, um, you know, if it is free journalism, it's usually funded by advertising. Um, it's not a subscription model, so there might not be any user login, user profiles. Um, so uh, there might not be any stored data on each user, for example. Um, which means that perhaps content filtering, content-based filtering would be um, a f- the first option for creating a recommendation system. Um, so that we're looking for similarities between articles then, for example. Um, so there might be an article on, say, a sports article. And oftentimes, with, with journalism at least, there'll be content management systems or editorial management systems. When you upload an article, it'll also um, there'll also be a space for adding tags to categorize the article. Um, and which could then be used um to recommend so like a a minimal viable product for example Mm -hmm. um super simple content-based recommendation might be to use those tags so it'd be really quick and easy to execute um just basically using a lookup so um so you've read a sports article about amanda nunez she's uh, a brilliant mma fighter um and then uh, the system does a lookup of other sports articles with Amanda Nunez or with MMA. And then those recommendations that are returned, just because they've got the same tags, mm. um, might be ranked by recency of the article. So more recent articles would be higher on the list and then older articles would be further down. I think that's similar-ish. Oh, I believe that Twitter have got a similar function in there in that 
I, I don't know what the Twitter algorithm is, but there are um, tags around um, content types, you know, and it are things of interest, but also it's very heavily weighted by um, interaction, but also how recently the tweet has been done, which is what you'd right. imagine from Twitter. Right. Um, so I mean, that might be a really nice sort of first step to see if it increases um, people's engagement with the site, for example, um, before investing in perhaps a more complex algorithm that might take time to develop um, and therefore money to develop. Um, so then a more complex version might be um, to use a more sophisticated content recommendation system using embeddings of articles. Mm. Um, again, the same as word to vec but you can maybe a doc to vec mm. in this case. Um, so looking at documents that are closest to the one the user just consumed. Um, and then again, ranking by recency and or ranking by trending, although probably with certain types of journalism, trending articles and recent articles, there's probably a high overlap between those two. Um, so the collaborative filtering requires knowledge, enough knowledge of a user to be able to identify traits of that user that you can then use to find similar users right right that makes sense <laughs> so yeah <laughs> so if we don't know anything about our users because there's no profile there's no login there's no home page um per user it could be kind of difficult to find to do collaborative filtering so using user information at the same time. Um, I guess one expensive solution would be to outsource uh, segmentation of, like customer segmentation. Because mm. um, we, we don't collect data ourselves, but if we outsourced it, maybe other people could, I don't know, collect it for us. Um, yeah. That I mean, this is all hypothetical, of course. Um, but I would a drawback of that would be the... the um, you could get clusters of users. You could identify, like, say, you've got five different categories or clusters of users. They're defined by these traits. Um, and that could be kind of a, 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 a basic sort of... You could ha end up with, like, five prototype users in that way. Um, but then that user segmentation is going to be static. It's not going to be... You know, still going to have... I don't know how useful that would be or what the, I feel like that's got issues about getting stagnant. Yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting you mentioned that. Um, Airbnb have got a similar approach, well, a similar approach. They have an approach that tries to address this and um, that they use in both their recommendation systems and their search ranking, um, which are very closely related. So we mentioned they're both all about relevancy, um, but they, they use a, um, a vector embedding based approach. Uh, but because they basically try, let me see if I can remember this correctly. Um, as user behaviors change, so say with Airbnb, you've only booked one, I don't know, room, hotel, I don't know what the technical nomenclature they <laughs> prefer is, but you've booked <laughs> one thing with them um, in a particular city um, over the last 12 months or whatever. They've got some uh, heuristics, some simple rules about what. Um, what puts you in um, in which approach and um, in which segment? So as you do different things, you kind of evolve through the segments. Uh, through the segments, the way that the recommendation system 
um, and the ranking system understands those um, those different segments doesn't change, but the assignment of each user to each segment does change. So um, you know it, <clears throat> the the more stays or bookings you've been in the last three months or nine months or whatever, you evolve into different segments, and it's it's quite. It, they've got a paper out, um, and we can pop it into the um, into the show notes as well that goes into the depth of how it explains this. Um, and it's a fascinating read um, if you're anything like me. Um, but yeah, they, they put a lot of time and effort into understanding how segmentation can be incorporated in this, and how we can deal with changes of user behaviour into the segments without lots of extensive machine learning. Right. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I will definitely like to read that paper as well afterwards. Um, I mean, another consideration um, that we were discussing yesterday as well was perhaps using user cookies. Mm. So there are, so we don't need to know the specifics of the user themselves. We don't need to know their name or where they are, whatever. Um, uh, but we can still gather some information that could be used to find similar users and therefore recommend content that their similar users also enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, this would depend on things like how long your publication, if it's sort of about journalists, um, online journalism, how long the publication uh, keeps the cookies for. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could be an issue. Another one could be that a lot of, it's an option now whether you allow certain cookies um, in your browsing experience or not. So it would it's likely that you know you might only get cookies from maybe i don't know 30 percent of your users um and that might that might be enough for the for the collaborative filtering to work or at least to work better than another option for Mm. for recommendation systems um so it still might be useful um but it would only be useful i guess to other users who are also allowing cookies yeah yeah i mean that's one of the issues that we found um kind of in some of our projects that we've worked on um Again, for this client I'm working with at the moment, they're the retail people, um, because of their um, zealous in, um, information security, um, we use we only focus on in kind of in session behaviours, which is right. like you say, just from user cookies. Now, obviously, um, the difference in on site behaviour between e-commerce and journalism reading content ingestion i don't know what the phrase is but you know <laughs> it's very different now um, you might read a long read that takes 20 minutes you're not going to read right there's only a few um, not many of those you want to read in kind of one single session right. um whereas in a e-commerce session you're more likely to kind of go through different things relatively quickly think hmm, i like that hmm, i don't like that one um, right. so you can go through you you build more of a history that's more representative of your behavior rather quicker than you would do with um than I assume you would do with kind of reading. It depends on I mean it depends on uh, the publication that you're it reading from. Certainly does. Yeah. Um uh, like you were saying before, it's all dependent on the business context. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah. So that's I mean that's as far as I got with uh my hypothetical algorithm for recommendation content. Um have you got anything else to add to that, John? No, I think you've just kind of highlighted how complex these kind of considerations <laughs> are. Um, yeah. And it's not, it's not figuring out a, 
unfortunately, it's never figuring out a recommendation system that's perfect for everyone. It's figuring out how we can improve relevancy for enough people that it makes business sense to do their projects. And that's how mm. it fits into each, because, you know, I'll, um, Amazon, I read somewhere, they've got like 10 main recommendation algorithms. Who knows if that's true? Uh, I'm sure they've got lots and lots that they test, uh, but that's kind of why you've got to have more than one single algorithm helping because they help solve different problems. Um, it's kind of right. a stable of different problems of how you inc- improve your relevancy, both right. up, um, on a general level and, an, and on a more personalized level for each individual user. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's not a one size fits all problem, unfortunately. <laughs> and that's why it make, that's what keeps it interesting for us, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, it also yeah. I keep it very frustrating as well. <laughs> oh. No, it's interesting. It's all interesting. Mm. Um, we like a good challenge. Um, yeah, yeah. So you're, it's trying to balance solving the business problem um, within the uh, current business infrastructure. Exactly. Yeah, and that's a and, massive well, limitation also, all the time. And it, not to be like, oh, this is a problem. It's a you shouldn't be going around building expensive infrastructure for the sake of, oh, we can do a cold data science problem. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. It's all going to be justified with yeah. the budget. Um, yeah. Yeah. And also respecting user privacy. Yes, yes, certainly. And, and I think that's an important point that we've kind of lost over here because certainly within e-commerce, I say certainly, I think within e-commerce, there's less, potential to do harm with recommendations. However, um, there are other areas where recommendation system or technologies, similar technologies to recommendation systems are used, which can have very impactful negative, yeah, negative impacts on people's lives. Um, and that's where people should be putting a huge amount, like lots more thought in to how we and where we get data from, how the data is collected, and how that's going to impact people's lives. Because if you give someone the wrong recommendation for um, what kind of coat to wear, it's not a huge deal. Um, if you do it in other areas where people's lives are affected, in say if it's, um, and I, this is an example, I don't know if they do this, but if, for example, if citizens advice and these recommendation systems to suggest on their website, if you're in trouble or if you're looking for help with um, rent arrears or whatever, you might want help with alcohol dependency or something else. I have no idea what the appropriate things are there, um, but it could cause lots of offense and it could cause damage to people who are in a vulnerable situation if you suggested the wrong things. Um, and it was yeah. ultimately generated. Um, lots of thought has to go into the impact around this. Definitely. Cathcart Associates is a technology recruitment company with offices in Leeds, Manchester and Edinburgh, covering all things tech, but with an experienced team focusing on data science in the Northwest. They're good at what they do. They are one of the rare companies that understand what their candidates do. Cathcart sponsor PyData Manchester, PyData Edinburgh, Mancomel, Scottomel, and are a beating heart in the data community. You can check out their website in the show notes. All right, that is all we have time for, although we could talk about this all day. Um, We hope you found it interesting and enjoyed it. Any questions, comments, suggestions, or if you're interested in sponsoring any any of our events, um, you can reach us on Twitter with our handle at 
pydatamcr, or you can email us at the same pydatamcr at gmail.com. Thanks very much for listening. Bye. Bye-bye.